Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're going to be beginning in Matthew chapter 14. Everybody had a good night's sleep last night. Um, I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, I have been struggling with allergies all weekend. It hit me the second day after I got here. Um, and runny nose and voices extra deep for some reason. I don't have a very deep voice. Um, anyway, so that's been a struggle. My brain has not been operating at 100%, but despite that, uh, you guys have been so sweet this week. Um, and I just appreciate y'all so much. Um, I, I do want you to know, uh, even since the meeting that I did for you guys almost four years ago, I, I think about y'all all the time. Uh, I really do. Uh, individuals here and um, Y'all got such a great work going on here, and I just, I, I pray for nothing but the best for you guys, and I just, um, I'm appreciative of being, just being able to be a part of it for, for five days this weekend, so I love and appreciate y'all very much. Um, we're going to be beginning in Matthew 14. We're going to spend um, our time this morning focused on Jesus Christ. Um, you can never go wrong there. And in Matthew 14, uh, this is the chapter where we learn that John the Baptist has been martyred. And upon hearing the news, Jesus and his apostles withdraw to a secluded place, uh, only to be followed by a crowd that is desperate for healing. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 hungry people on that day, uh, women and children not included. Uh, one of only two miracles that are actually recorded in all four Gospels, uh, the second one being the, the resurrection. In verse 22 of Matthew 14, it says, Immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In other words, the apostles find themselves in the midst of a storm. Um, I've often wondered whether Jesus knew that he was sending them into this. The text doesn't explicitly tell us. Uh, but this is the Son of God, um, and he always did things with such foresight. Uh, I'm inclined to think this was probably a purposeful sending, uh, one for testing their faith. Uh, but in verse 25 it says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. Boy, that's the last thing that they needed, right? I mean, they're already doing everything they can just to keep afloat, and now they see this figure approaching them as if it's violating the laws of nature. And the fact they assumed that it was a ghost instead of Jesus is not all that surprising, as we've sort of hit on a little bit throughout this um, meeting. Uh, fear has a way of causing us to look at the worst possible interpretation of things, doesn't it? In verse 27, it says, Immediately Jesus spoke to him, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, that revelation did not end the storm, but that must have been a huge sigh of relief to be in a situation in which you have absolutely no control and then to understand that the figure approaching you that is walking on the sea is none other than Jesus Christ himself, and he's just completely unfazed by the torrent. And that gave Peter courage because in verse 28 it tells us that Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. What I want to do this morning 
is I want to suggest to you that the thing that Jesus is calling on Peter to do here in this chapter is it's really the same thing that he's calling on all of us to do. It is not uncommon to find ourselves in the midst of a storm in which the waves of this fallen world and the winds are contrary, battering us left and right, and we're trying to move forward, but there's resistance and progress is slow. And I think the temptation for us when we find ourselves in the midst of these storms is just to hunker down and, and let the storm pass in their own time. But if that's how we treat the storms of life, we are going to miss out on a wonderful opportunity to do what Peter did here. We're going to miss out on the opportunity to walk by faith. And that phrase, walk by faith, is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'll turn there with me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> where the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Peter understood that while he was in the boat, he was absent from the Lord, but he preferred to be with the Lord. But in order for him to be with the Lord, he was going to have to take a walk of faith. And walking by faith, that, that is an essential element for every single Christian because as 2 Corinthians 5 alludes to, walking by faith is a life of courage. And Peter did this. He would not be the first. Scripture gives us an example, uh, of many examples of godly individuals who took uh, walks of courage, walks of faith. Um, I think about Abraham when he left the Ur of the Chaldee, uh, going to a land that he had never seen before. When he did this, Abraham took a walk, did he? didn't he? He had never seen this land, and since he had never seen it, he could not be walking by sight. By necessity, it was a walk of faith, as the Hebrew writer tells us. When God called Moses uh, to lead Israel out of Egypt, Moses had no idea uh, what to expect, and he had never seen the place that God had called him and Israel to go. And so by necessity, he took a walk of faith. And I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking toward that fiery furnace. Boy, every step they took was a walk of faith. They had no idea whether or not God would save them, but they determined that they were going to do his will, even if it cost them their lives. And also think about Esther, who approached the king on his throne, though uninvited, and the Persians had only one law for those who did so, death. But Esther took courage. She took a walk of faith. And every, in every single one of these occasions, brethren, there, there's one thing that is in common with every single one of them. We are not walking by faith unless we're doing so in the midst of a storm. I mean, just think about it. When everything is calm, when everything is normal, and there's no challenges that we're having to go through, and it's business as usual, that's not a walk of faith. I mean, we, we might as well call that a pleasant stroll in the meadow on a flat surface. I can just skip right along and go at a nice slow pace, smell the flowers. I don't have to worry about anything, right? Because there's no storm. There's no challenges whatsoever. But that's not walking by faith. Because walking by faith demands courage. It tests us. Walking by faith is an uphill battle. It's a long distance through contrary winds and waves. There are dangers. There are hazards along the way. There are risks. 
And just as I believe that Jesus knew what he was doing when he sent those apostles uh, by boat to the other side of the island, sometimes what the Lord is going to do for us is he's going to bring a storm into our lives by which to test us. And the question that we need to ask ourselves when we find ourselves in the midst of our storm is, will I walk by faith or will I walk by sight? Walking by faith is going to be the kind of thing that turns heads. It's the kind of walk which, like Peter, is going to put us in closer proximity to Jesus. Uh, and, you know, when you think about what's happening in this story in Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus himself walking on water, I mean, certainly that would have turned heads. That is, until you realize he had just got done feeding 5,000 men for five loaves and two loaves of bread. And that's really not surprising at all that a God that could do that could walk on water. I mean, that's just another day in the office for the Son of God when you think about it, right? But there's another walk of faith in this chapter that would absolutely turn heads. And that's what we read about in verse 29. When it says that Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus you want to be like Peter? Do you want to walk on water? Let's, let's just forget about literal water for a second. Let's leave the Sea of Galilee for a moment. Because what this passage is really talking about is living a life of amazing faith. And don't you want that? Of course you do. You know what it takes to have that kind of faith that we see in Peter here? You have to do the same things that Peter did here. If you want to walk by faith, you're going to have to get out of the boat. And we all have boats, don't we? And what I mean by boat, I mean by those things that we, we um, construct in our life that are secure. Those things that we construct in our life that are manageable. Um, and we comfort coat those boats in such a way as to maintain this illusion of I'm in control of my world, although we're not. That's what our boat is. Our boats are our comfort zones. Our fail-safes, those things that we immerse ourselves in that, that, and that keep us from doing the difficult things that we have to do. We all have a boat, don't we? And we're all scared to death to get out of it. But get out of it we must, or we're never going to get close to Jesus. And Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 tells us that if anyone wishes to come after me, this is what Peter's doing, right? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, we cannot come to Jesus while we continue to dwell in our boat. Jesus has not called us to be comfortable. He has called us to the cross. God has created us for a much bigger purpose than just uh, living our lives in fear and compromising our faith just so that we can avoid stepping out on a limb, just so we can avoid doing the things that are difficult. There's just too many things to be done in Jesus' kingdom, too much seed to be sown uh, in this world. And if we're going to do those great things, if we're going to do great things for this church, we're going to have to abandon those boats that we're in. We're going to have to abandon the safety nets and the comfort of routine. We're going to have to get out of the boat, aren't we? You ever thought about that with a rich young ruler? Rich young ruler had a boat, didn't he? In Matthew 19 and verse 16, he asked Jesus, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And you know what Jesus told him in so many words? He said, you got to get out of the boat. Not in those specific words. But in principle, he tells us specifically in verse 21 that if you wish to be complete, 
Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Same invitation that he gave Peter in principle, to come where he is. But to be near Jesus, he was going to have to get out of the boat. And the rich young ruler wasn't willing to abandon that boat because the rich young ruler had a nice boat, didn't he? But it couldn't provide him with the eternal security that being with Jesus could. Brothers, their boat is their job. That's their safety net. That's what, why we call it job security, right? And then for others, uh, they dwell in uh, their boat of some success or achievement, some degree, or by immersing themselves in some kind of hobbies or activities. Other people's boats are false doctrine. Uh, their church is teaching error, but they're comfortable there. They say things like, well, I'm happy to, uh, to believe what I want to believe. You see that all the time in evangelism. Other people's boat is some relationship. And while getting out of the boat may not necessarily mean getting out of the relationship, getting out of that boat may mean risking it in order to stand up for what is right. What risks? Usually some ghost that we think we're seeing that's not really there. See, when you really think about it, we're, we're all just like the rich young ruler to a degree. We all have a nice boat by which we can kick back and not have to be bothered by a security blanket that, like Linus, we just kind of cling to that makes us feel safe and secure. And you know what the sad reality is, and I'm speaking to myself here, sometimes the boats that we cling to are really not even that comfortable. We just stay in those boats because we're so afraid of change, aren't we? I mean, like the apostles, we're getting battered sitting in the boat that we're in, but we're staying in it anyway because we're actually more scared of what might be outside of it. And that's why some people stay in unhealthy relationships because even though these relationships are causing them harm, they, they fear what may be going on outside of that relationship. They fear change. And that's why few people can get out of their boat all by themselves. It's where so many will draw the line. And so most of us need God's help, don't we? So you know what God does sometimes to try to get us out of the boat? Same thing he did in this story in Matthew 14. To get us out of our boat, sometimes God sends a storm to rock the boat. And we hate it too, don't we? <laughs> Just admit it, we hate it. We don't like it one bit. But God knows how to rock our boat like nobody else. And so there's three things that we can learn about boats, I think, in the story. We all have them. I think that's pretty clear, right? We would much prefer to stay in them. And we don't want anybody coming along and rocking our boat. I mean, we would much prefer for God to rock the cradle, right? Sing us a little lullaby so we'll sleep through the storm. But God doesn't rock the cradle if comfortable. He rocks their boat. Because unless he does, we're never going to get out of it. Unless we get out of the boat, we're never going to walk by faith. And unless we walk by faith, we're never going to get close to Jesus. And so when God comes along and he rocks your boat, don't cling to it harder. Get out of it and walk by faith so that you can be closer to the Lord. Because true faith is not found in the boat, folks. It's not found in what makes me feel comfortable. It's not found in what makes me feel safe and secure. True faith lies outside of the boat as we walk toward the Lord through the storm. Now, what's it going to take? This is going to require you and I to face our fears, just like it did with Peter. 
You know, Peter had to take certain steps to overcome his fears before he ever walked on water. I mean, his boat is literally rock rocking. I understand I'm playing around with this story a little bit and speaking kind of figuratively and metaphorically, but I mean, Peter is in a literal rocking boat. So what do you think his first step was to get out of that? Well, he's, he's going to have to stand up, right? You ever tried to stand up on a rocking boat? It's not all that easy. But he does, likely holding on to that boat's edge for dear life. And then I imagine him as he takes one foot and he swings it over the edge as the other 11 apostles watches every move, curious as what's to what's going to happen. I mean, they've been around their pal Peter long enough to know just how rash and impulsive he could be. And so you got 22 eyes upon Peter as he grips the edge, as he swings one leg over the side, and they watch him as he swings the other foot over the boat, holding onto it for dear life. And as his feet graze the surface of the water, Peter does something absolutely amazing, something that you and I are going to have to do with our boats too. You know what he does before he ever walks by faith? He lets go. He lets go. He lets go of the boat, and he stands on water, and then he takes one step, and then he takes another, and he's not only walking on water, but with every step that he takes, he is now getting closer to Jesus. And, and I don't know what Peter looks like, none of us do, but in my mind's eye, I imagine a man who once sat in a boat looking terrified, just terrified of what might be outside of it. And I imagine a man now smiling. And I imagine Jesus smiling at him too. I mean, Peter's conquered his fears. He's done what he never thought he could do. If someone had asked Peter two years ago, hey, or told Peter two years ago, hey, did you know that you're going to walk on water in a couple of years? He would have laughed in their face, right? But see, when a person fully surrenders themselves to the power of Jesus Christ, that's how you achieve things that you never thought you could achieve. But then it happens. Matthew 14, verse 30. It says, seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sing, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, every single person who has ever gotten the courage to step outside of their boat can relate to the very thing that Peter is going through here. Because you know what you call this? You call it a reality check. Because whatever euphoria that Peter felt walking on water, Peter is right back now to walking by sight. He's distracted by the storm. He remembers he's walking on something that people shouldn't be able to walk on. He also realizes that he's not in his boat anymore. And that boat's out of reach. And so verse 30 tells us that he became frightened and he began to sink. And this too is another essential element to walking by faith, isn't it? Even when you gather the courage to get out of the boat. That does not mean that everything is going to go on smoothly. And that's exactly why we don't want to walk by faith many times. Because walking by faith is risky. We so value the security blankets that we construct for ourselves. That again, oftentimes we're afraid to let go. And that's when compromise starts to happen. That's when we are so determined to cling to our boats that we actually start to justify clinging to those boats as the appropriate thing to do, even when it's not. Did you know that this happened in the parable of the talents in uh, Matthew chapter 25? If you turn there, Matthew chapter 25. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, um, God commended the first two men. But that third man that he gave the one talent to, 
That guy didn't do anything with what God had given him. And he tells us why he didn't in verse 24, Matthew 25 and verse 24. <clears throat> it says that the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And here it is. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Why didn't he use his talent? I was afraid. And, and it's from that point that now he's starting to make all these excuses for why it seemed appropriate to justify that fear. While it seemed appropriate for why he didn't use his talent to do anything. But none of those excuses were valid. But he thought they were valid excuses because not only is fear the great immobilizer, it is such a deceptive justifier. Fear causes us to be silent when we need to speak up. Fear causes us to stay when we need to go. Fear causes us to be frozen when we need to act. And fear also causes us to reason that things are okay when they are not okay. You know, there is such a thing as healthy fear. It's why we ensure things. It's why we lock our doors at night. It's why we wear our seat belts. It's, it's why I will never go bungee jumping or, or, or tornado chasing or those other things that some of you might have done. I don't know. But, I, I, but how do you distinguish between the two? How do you distinguish between healthy and unhealthy fear? Well, spiritually speaking, the difference is whether we're actually taking steps forward. Because, see, fear responds in emotionally irrational ways, but faith calculates the risks. Faith takes the appropriate safeguards, and then it opens the door to face the threats and to get closer to Jesus, and that's how you start to get out of the boat. And did you know that that's the key to being evangelistic? I mean, there may not be a more comfortable boat to sit in than the boat of never having to talk to anybody else about the subject of Christianity. I mean, one might try to be like a one-talent man and label that as being cautious. You know, it will likely preserve the relationship that you're in with that person, right? But that is not caution. That's fear. Because we're not taking steps toward building God's house, and if we're not taking steps forward toward Jesus, we're not walking by faith. And if you're in that boat this morning, I mean, maybe your first step of getting out of that boat is to just simply invite them to church. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what if they don't come? You know, what if they reject me? What if they start looking at me different? Well, that, that might happen. But those are likely just ghosts that you're constructing in, in your mind. It's likely just irrational. You're just allowing that to distract you from doing the thing that you know that is right. The truth is, folks, we, we don't know what's going to happen unless we step up to the plate and take a swing. I mean, you might strike out, but what if you hit a home run? How will you ever know what it's like to walk on water if you don't get out of the boat and take steps towards getting closer to Jesus? So we have to be on guard that we don't allow our fears to, to lead us toward invalid compromises just to avoid taking a walk of faith in the storm. What are we mainly scared of? Well, as we mentioned um, a couple days ago, um, death is one of those things we're scared of, right? 
The fear that keeps us in the boat often manifests itself through the fear of death. I think this was literally the case with Peter as he began to sink. But the truth is, as I mentioned a couple um, sermons ago, there are a lot of deaths that we fear other than literal death. Isn't there? I mean, many fear the death of their prosperity, the death of their material dreams. For them, there's just too much on the line to give the kingdom any more time. I mean, there are dreams that we just don't want to die. Young, unmarried Christians fear the death of a relationship, and we see this in Auburn all the time, how some will sacrifice purity in order to dwell in the boat of licentiousness, understanding that to step out of the boat and to do what's right might mean the end of that relationship. Fear of death contributes to our paralysis, and there are many deaths, and Satan loves to dangle the possibility of those deaths before us to distract us from the one death that's going to matter when we stand before God on Judgment Day, and that is death of self. But look at Hebrews chapter 2. Because before we ever came to Jesus, before you and I ever got the courage to leave our boats and to take a step toward Jesus walking by faith, he came here to free us from the fear of death. That's what Hebrews 2.15 teaches, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And so part of walking by faith means that we have to start taking steps to face our fears. Brethren, the world that we live in is a place of death. There is death all around us. I don't know when the second law of thermodynamics started to take place, but I imagine it happened at the fall. That means everything around us is dying. We live in a place of death. It's unavoidable. This will never change until Jesus returns. And so it simply boils down to which death I choose. Are we going to be like the Apostle Paul who in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 said, I die daily? Or will we be like the world which walks by sight and futilely hang on to those things that are perishing anyway? Uh, fear of failure keeps us in the boat. Um, we see this in Matthew 14 as well. In Matthew 14, verse 30, it says, Seeing the wind, Peter became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Fear of failure. Well, let me ask you this. Did Peter fail? Just think about that. Don't answer that out loud. Did Peter fail? I see a couple of heads nodding, a couple of heads shaking. It's kind of a loaded question. It's really not a fair question, is it? The answer is yes and no. But you know, the answer that you dwell on may determine whether you're more of a critic, a pessimist, or a realist. See, the critic sees this as yet another failing on the part of an impetuous apostle. The critic reads this and says, oh, there goes Peter again, failing, not surprising. The pessimist considers Peter foolish for even getting out of the boat. The pessimist thinks he should have never stepped up to the plate in the first place. And, you know, life is just so much easier just watching things from the stands. So there are critics and there are pessimists, but you know what? There are also realists. And the realist sees an apostle who got out of the boat, and if even only for a short time, he walked on water. The critic and the pessimist say, he's saying, boy, what a failure. Look, Peter was not the biggest failure in this story. You want to know who the biggest failure was in this story? The biggest failure in this story are those other 11 apostles sitting on that, in that boat. Because those other apostles failed quiet, quietly. 
But their failure speaks louder than any failure experienced by Peter because Peter failed outside the boat and not in it. Peter's faith is greater than theirs. And the reason is because he was willing to take the proper risk to get closer to the Lord. And so, yeah, ultimately he failed. Okay, sure. But at least he failed halfway to Jesus. And I understand that Jesus said that he had little faith. That's true. Can't argue it, right? But it's better to have little faith than no faith. And on this occasion, those 11 on the boat had littler to none. And so it does kind of beg the question of why the one who bears the brutney of so much criticism and scrutiny by Bible students is the only guy who had the courage to actually get out of the boat. And I just have to wonder if maybe because it's at our core, we'd rather be chilling on the boat than walking on water. I, I, I don't see Denise here this morning, but I've been to ask her what one of the best-selling chairs in the furniture stores is. It's not called the Risky Boy, is it? It's called the Lazy Boy. Maybe that's why we're so scared to get out of the boat. Well, fine. I mean, naysayers will always find a reason to stay on the boat. But we will always be better off being a Peter sinking than a disciple shrinking. Listen, if we never step up to the plate, folks, it's true that we'll never have to worry about getting hit by a pitch and we'll never have to worry about dealing with the bitter experience of striking out. But if you never step up to the plate, you are never also going to experience the exhilaration of belting a home run. If you stay in the boat, there's no fear of failure. But if you stay in the boat, there is zero possibility of success. And sometimes we're just going to have to risk it to get the biscuit. I mentioned earlier that God knows how to rock our boat. I would add that he knows just what it takes to rock those boats in which we think we're the most secure. I mean, have you thought about who's on this boat? A lot of them are Galilean fishermen. I mean, these are seasoned veterans of the sea. They, they know how to handle themselves on the water. They've likely seen many, many storms before, and they knew the kind of precautions that they needed to take. But this is no ordinary storm, because God knows just how to rock those boats in which we think that we are most secure. And so these seasoned veterans of the sea are frightened. So put yourself again in Peter's waterlogged sandals. I mean, you're getting battered by the winds and waves, just trying to stay alive. And you see Jesus walking on the sea, and he extends to you a personal invitation to get out of the boat and to come to him. And so it's decision time. Outside the boat, there are rough waters, contrary winds, huge waves. I mean, you're getting beat up inside the boat too, but it seems a lot safer than it would be out there. And if you step outside that boat, you might stumble. You might be overwhelmed. You might drown. At the very least, it may not be as smooth as how you feel being hunkered down in that boat. But if you stay inside that boat, there is a 100% chance you will never walk on water. Because if you want to walk on water, you're going to have to get out of the boat. And Peter was the only one who did it. And even if only for a moment, he was the only one of those 12 apostles who knew the glory of walking on water. And yes, he, he did start to sink, but he was the only one to experience the joy of being lifted from its depths by the hand of Jesus. He experienced this euphoria simply because he summoned up the courage to get out of the boat. 
because of that, he shared in a moment with Jesus that those other 11 apostles didn't. I mean, I'd say for all those who are critical of Peter in this story, I have yet to see any one of those critics duplicate his feet. My point is this, don't let fear keep you in the boat. There's just too much to this life than being a boat potato. Don't become that Christian who is just some kind of passive observer. We are so much better off taking a risk for the sake of the kingdom than falling short and and falling short than doing nothing and succeeding, I should say. I mean, again, think about the world that we live in. Everything here is risky. Everything. If we're looking to play it safe in this world with our species, we've got the wrong species. The worst failure in our lives should not be fear that we're going to sink if we step outside the boat. The worst failure is allowing our fears to keep us in the boat. See, Peter was closer to Jesus when he failed than any of the other apostles. And that's where you and I want to find ourselves. Because failure, as bad as it sounds, failure can actually be the stepping stone towards greater growth. And finally, um, look, look back in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 30. Um, I want to suggest this too, that, that taking a walk of faith will allow us to connect with Jesus with a renewed focus. Uh, again, back in Matthew 14, verse 30, it says, But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. You know, there are a lot of reasons why we should want to get out of the boat um, and walk by faith. But the number one reason is that that is where Jesus is. Jesus is the one in the storm commanding, come to me. See, God is going to rock our boat, whether we want him to or not. He rocked it in a big way in 2020, didn't he? And he's done it before in other ways as he did with Job, and he's going to do it again. Now, is this because he's just some mean God? He just wants to make us miserable down here on earth? No. Uh, if I'm honest, I'd have to say that he rocks our boat because we are just stubborn people. And rocking our boat is just, unfortunately, what it takes sometimes to get us out of the boat and to get us closer to him. And so, if Peter wanted to be with the Lord so badly that he would get out of the boat and walk towards him, why did he begin to sink? Well, in verse 30, says he saw the wind. In verse 29, he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, but in verse 30, those eyes moved from Jesus, distracted by the storm, and now he's walking by sight. That's how we sink. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, a very familiar verse to us in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the key. 
We want head-turning faith, but the truth is that as we walk by faith, we begin to turn our heads, don't we? And then our eyes wander, and our hearts wander, and that's when we begin to sink. And that's when we find ourselves up to our neck in unbelief. And so we cry out to God for him to come and to help us and to save us and come to find out he's always been there. Reaching down and extending his hand, perfectly willing and able to lift us up when we fail. And that is another reason why we should never fear getting out of the boat and walking by faith toward Jesus. I'll gladly fail. As long as I remember that though I temporarily take my eyes off Jesus, he's still there to lift me back up. If I'll just renew my focus and take his hand. And you know that the greatest Bible characters experienced this too. Peter was not the first. We mentioned Abraham earlier, how he walked by faith. But just like Peter, he took his eyes off the Lord very briefly when he lied to Pharaoh about Sarah being his wife, didn't he? God was there to pick up the pieces. Gave Abraham renewed focus. How did Moses escape Israel and survive 40 years of wilderness hardship? Because God was there. In the form of a cloud by day and a fire by night. And that's why they survived waterless places. And that's why they were able to walk through previously impassable terrain. That's how he was able to deal with faithless people. How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survive that fiery furnace because God was in the midst of it with them. You see the point? Though Peter began to sink, Jesus wasn't going to let him drown. He extended his hand to Peter and pulled him up. And you know what happened then? And, and, and this is important, brethren. If you don't remember anything else from this lesson, please remember this. It's only when Peter learned the lesson that Jesus took him back to the boat. And that is the point in the story which tells us that the storm finally ceased. You understand? We can see storms as problems or we can see them as opportunities. We can hunker down and just wait for them to go away, apply a band-aid here, band-aid there. Or we can use the storms as opportunities to push ourselves beyond our comfort zone, to take steps to conquer fear, let go, and go walk on the water with Jesus. And the choice is ours, which we choose. But walk we must. And it may not be a literal walk like we saw with the walk of Abraham or the walk of Moses or the walk of Esther or the walk of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or even the walk of Peter. But, you know, when we offer the invitation um, after the second lesson that we're coming up here on the, in the worship service, um, I tell you, it, it takes courage to, to walk up front, doesn't it, sometimes? Whether to confess that I, I'm not a Christian and I need to become one or to confess some wrong that, that we've done. And I'll tell you, for, for how rare that happens, um, I can't call it anything else other than a walk of faith. But to walk on water, you're going to have to get out of the boat. And I'll tell you this about, um, about storms, as dark and as dangerous as <laughs> cold and as rough those waters can be. None of that initially mattered to Peter, did it? Because wherever Jesus is, 
will always be better than where he is not. And that's also why we need to learn to walk by faith. Hope the lesson was encouraging to you. Hope it'll give you a renewed way of looking at Matthew chapter 14. We've all been in Peter's shoes before. Let's continue to have the strength and the courage to get out of those boats and to let go and to walk towards Jesus. Thanks for your attention this morning.